Man. I'm Caitlin. And I'm Mandy. And today Mandy's got a pretty wild one for us, so I think it's going to be a, a long one, so I'm just going to let you get right into <laughs> it. <laughs> you know, yeah, it is going to be possibly fairly lengthy. and <laughs> Possibly fairly. <laughs> <laughs> and honestly, I did um, a pretty deep dive into this one, and yeah. I've been telling you that. And I read a book, and I read most of it while I was on, like traveling on vacation, um, a week or so ago and then I finished it um not that long ago I was watching videos doing too much and I actually ended up becoming you and dreaming about this <laughs> because Caitlin dreams about her things and I'm usually unfazed but this one's got me down like a crazy hole so I feel like I need to release this person and so this topic so that out anymore yes exactly <laughs> okay so I'm just gonna go ahead and get started yeah so okay today's um I'm not even going to tell you what it's about yet. We're just going to talk through a story, okay? Yeah, she's start. Yeah, she's going to start this one off a little different than we normally do. So I'm excited to see how this goes. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So Thursday, February second, in 2012, uh, we are in Alaska, and just think of a pretty small coffee kiosk. So about five feet by nine feet, and so nine feet in length, five feet in width. Okay, design just came out, sorry. Um, <laughs> so um, there's a young girl, 18-year-old, Samantha Koenig, and she is working at this cafe or this coffee kiosk, okay? Um, it's a pretty remote area. So there are places like a Home Depot and different things like that, but Where you in are Alaska, in Alaska, are Anchorage. Anchorage. Okay, well, and Anchorage is, is, it's a little remote, but for the most part, it's actually a big city. Right, it is a big city, yeah. but you, if you see the picture of this coffee Where kiosk, this one's at. Yeah, there's like, just, it's Nothing. snow, and I mean, there are people around, but it's not That's kind of how Anchorage is, though. Busy. You get into little pockets of big stuff. And oh, because you I don't lived know, there. Yeah, I lived, well, I lived in Sitka. I don't know if you've ever been to Alaska, nope. but my sister went to college in Anchorage, so I went and visited oh. her, and there's like little pockets of, like, town and things, but then there's definitely like, you know, you'll be in between driving somewhere, and you're like... Where I mean, am I? I'm nowhere. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. That's just Alaska. Oh, wow. Yeah. So 18-year-old Samantha Koenig, like I said, she becomes reported missing. Okay. So her father, James Koenig, and her boyfriend, Dwayne, report her missing. So Dwayne said he drove by the coffee kiosk at about 8.30 and he was going to pick up Samantha. And then he noticed that all the lights were off. So he's like, okay, well, that's weird. Let me let me go see what's happening. You know, maybe she just turned them off and she's still in there just getting ready to leave. But he gets out of the truck, looks in the windows, nothing. No one's there. The doors are locked. So he figures that Samantha just got a ride with somebody else. So he's not too concerned. He's like, okay, well, I guess I'll just go home. When they get there, uh, when he gets back to the house, he's like, all right, it's been a while. They report her missing, okay? So Anchorage Police Department, led by Detective Dahl, FBI Specialist Agent Payne, Lieutenant Parker, and Detective Bell. So these are our main detectives. They take on the case. So they ask Dwayne, they say, you know, let's confirm some of this communication that you had with Samantha because you look at the partner first, right? So they found that there were two, um, the, the two of them were having some problems. And at 11.30 that night, so remember he shows up there at 8.30. Then at 11.30, uh, Dwayne gets a text from uh, Samantha. And she says, fuck you, asshole. I know what you did, and I'm going to spend a couple of days with friends. I need time to plan. Acting weird. Let my dad know. So it was kind of piecemeal. It wasn't really a whole 
sentence, it was almost like a stream of consciousness, right? Yeah. Like, I know what you did. Fuck you. Acting weird. Staying somewhere else. Tell my dad. That evening, when he was home, he's just waiting and waiting and waiting for Samantha. And then he says at three in the morning, as he's still waiting, that he's like, you know, I just felt like I needed to go to the front door of the house. So he's telling the police this. And they're like, hmm. Okay. Yeah. So he says he goes outside, opens up the door. And he sees a man wearing a mask who's about six feet away from him. And the man is going through the truck that he and Samantha share. So they stare at each other for a while. And then the masked man just closes the truck door and walks away. And Dwayne doesn't do anything. What? Nothing. He just stands there staring at him. So I don't, it never really, he never really said why he didn't approach the man. Yeah. He must have just been scared or shocked or I'm not sure what his reaction was about, but he, yeah. So about an hour later, so there's some weird things about time here. So I guess he goes inside, he talks to Samantha's dad, and then about an hour later, he goes back out to the truck. So maybe he felt like, okay, he should be definitely gone by now. So he goes out to the truck, and uh, when you pull down the visor, that's where Samantha kept her driver's license, and the driver's license was missing. So hmm. whoever came to the truck, he's thinking, took her driver's license, right? So then he goes back into the house, and he goes to sleep finally, and sleeps very deeply, he says, until 9.30 in the morning. So kind of strange. How are you going to sleep very deeply when you just had a weird stranger digging through your shit with a mask on and your girlfriend's missing? I don't know. I don't know. So, Men are weird. I mean, think about it, though. He's probably around her age. She's 18. Yeah. So, I don't but if know. it was a woman, I feel like you wouldn't. I don't know. I, I don't feel know. Like, I feel like a woman would probably react a bit different to that scenario. Possibly. And a man's just, like, so secure that he's safe. He's just like, meh. Yeah. I, I don't think I, I would go know. to sleep at all. No, I wouldn't. I don't think I could. But that's me. No, so. not even. I can barely sleep after I read a scary book or something. Know. You know what I mean? Like, let oh. alone. A stranger with a mask on that digging through my that, car. Yeah, fuck that. You're right. I would have called the cops immediately. Absolutely. Me too. So video footage from the kiosk shows Samantha. So just before 8 o'clock. So remember, Dwayne gets there at 8.30. And this is just before 8. She's chatting with a customer through the kiosk window. Okay? okay. And she's making coffee while she's chatting with them. There's no audio to be heard on this. Okay? So you're just watching movements. So two minutes and six seconds into the video... She suddenly turns off the light, and then her hands go up, okay? So all of that is visible from outside the kiosk is a shadowy figure. That's all that's visible. So then you kind of just see the muzzle of a gun. So you don't really see much of anything. You just kind of see, like, a figure and a gun. Through the window? Yes, through the window. Like, coming through through the the window. window. Yes. So... Uh, It's all pointed, obviously, at Samantha, and that's when her hands go up, right? So she moves to the counter, gets on her knees, and puts her back to the window, to the shadowy figure, okay? She stays this way for over a minute, and then at three minutes and 30 seconds into the video, she gets up, and she takes the money out of the register, and then turns back to her kneeling position. So something's clearly said to her at this time because she scoots herself over to the window, stops, and turns her back again to it, but a little bit closer to the window. And then this is five minutes and 19 seconds. We see a large male figure lean halfway into the window, and they start to tie her arms behind her back. So not long after that, we see the man just kind of almost like panther jump 
into the kiosk, just right through the window, right? Oh, weird. Okay. In one swift movement, and it was really strange, the man is very tall and lanky, and he helps her to her feet. He moves her straight ahead and out the kiosk door. That's what they can see from the footage inside the kiosk, right? Okay. Um, and it just shows her, you know, them walking slowly away, and he puts his hand on her shoulder. So the police at this time start to believe that Dwayne and her father, James, could have something to do with her disappearance. And a lot of that has to do with the, the kind of shady, weird stuff that we were talking about with the times, right? And like him going to sleep and all of it. So the police start to also think maybe Samantha had something to do with it. So maybe she's staging her own abduction because huh. she, they're like, you know, who knows? Like she's a young girl. She's, you know, took the money out of the register. So I, there can't be that much money in a coffee kiosk in Alaska. I can't imagine. But who knows? And so they're like, maybe she had something to do with this too. So maybe it's her, Dwayne, her dad. Who knows? Maybe this is just like a whole plan with this family, right? So Agent Payne, he's with the FBI, starts to get really frustrated and feels that, you know, James has actually, in his opinion, done more than all of the Anchorage Police Department to try and find Samantha. He does a lot of shit, actually. He sets up a tip line. He sets up a volunteer site next to the kiosk. He has a huge placard of his daughter's face propped up against the roadside shack with kidnapped, really large, printed on it. He has cross-country skiers search along the trails. Very oh, smart. Yeah. And he sets up a reward fund on Facebook and has gotten up to $60,000 already. Holy cow. Yeah. So all the police have done so far is get the footage from inside the kiosk. And assume that it's a family, and assume it's a a family, family setup. Affair. Yes. Yes. It's February 24th now. So we started February 2nd. Okay, so we're at the 24th. Okay. 7.56 p.m. on the 24th, Dwayne receives a text message from Samantha's phone. And before this, her phone had been turned off, completely turned off. So all of a sudden, the phone comes on, and he gets a text. Hmm. And it says, Connor Park, sign under pick of Albert, ain't she pretty? So that doesn't make any sense, and it does not sound like Samantha. But Dwayne and James tell the Anchorage Police Department right away. So they all rush to Connor's Bog Park. So that's it, Connor Park. So it's Connor's Bog. And they find, tacked to a bulletin board and under a flyer for a missing dog named Albert, a Ziploc bag containing a ransom note and black and white Polaroid pictures of Samantha with silver duct tape covering her mouth and her chin. She's wearing eyeliner. She's looking at the camera with her hair braided. And in the video footage that she was in the kiosk, her hair was not braided. It was down. Also in these photos, you see that her head is being held up by a man. But the only part that you can see of the man is just a tiny bit of his arm. But it looks like he's in fairly good shape. It's fairly muscular. And in the upper part of the picture, you can see that uh, just a little snippet of a page of the Anchorage Daily Newspaper, and it's dated February 13th. So this picture was, was taken. either taken earlier or it's an old newspaper. Right. Okay. So they noted that, though. So the note, it's typed on plain paper, and it references Samantha and Dwayne's ATM card, and the ATM card was missing. So now they know okay. that the ATM card is missing. It says, I may not use the card much in AK, 
due to small pop, but I will be leaving soon. I will be using it all over. She did almost get away twice, once on Tudor Road and once in desert. Must be losing my touch. The note also demands $30,000 be deposited into the account immediately and that Samantha will be set free in six months. In six months? Six months. I know. I'd be like, excuse me? Like, I'm not giving you $30,000 for you to wait six months to give me my child or yeah, my friend or whoever. Excuse me? Not happening. They now know it's officially a kidnapping case, mm-hmm. but this has been 21 days. Um, so it's finally a federal crime. So Detective Payne from the FBI brings in to the case a couple more of his team members and someone from the Behavioral Anal- Analysis Unit. So okay. everyone on the team agrees that James had to put the money in the account in order to track the accounts and withdrawals, right? Okay. But James is kind of iffy about doing so. And so then they start questioning him again. They're like, okay, he's being really weird about it. Maybe he, maybe he's, you know, maybe he's part of it. And he just doesn't want to put money in there because he's just fucking around. I don't know. It was kind of, they just kind of kept trying to put it on James, right? Right. James is the dead. He's the dead. So five days after discovering the note, he finally decides to put money in there, but he decides on $5,000. And... (laughs) And he takes it from some of the reward money that he has raised. So four hours after this deposit is made, someone tries to withdraw cash from an ATM in Anchorage for $600. But the ATM withdrawal limit is $500. 500. That's what I was thinking. So less than two hours after this, there's a successful withdrawal at an ATM six minutes away from the first one for $500. So, back-to-back withdrawals at 11.56 p.m. and half an hour later across town. And these all made the police believe that James was taking the money out. So, instead of thinking it could be somebody else, they say James put the money in the dad. And then he goes across town and and keeps taking the money out. Okay, so that's where their heads are at right now. So on the, one of the ATMs, uh, they had surveillance and a description was determined. Okay. This person had on a dark jacket, possibly hooded with light colored paint splattered on the left chest and lettering on the back that seemed to read C-O-R-P-S. So core, right? Light colored glasses, a gray face mask, gray gloves, dark pants, and white shoes. Interesting. Right. Out there so, in the middle of the daylight with Matt with like a face mask on trying to get money out of it. It was ATM. at eleven fifty six PM. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm like dude. You're like, dude, this is a bad idea. Yikes. Okay. So three weeks after Samantha's disappearance, the Anchorage Police Department finally think it's gonna piss you off. To obtain surveillance from across the street at the Home Depot. <laughs> three weeks i can't tell you that it surprises me i mean my god i'd be so angry if i was her parent oh yeah oh my god and well the- they're sitting here thinking it's probably the dad so they're not even trying which is even more annoying absolutely it's like three weeks 21 days that's when they finally are like oh oh yeah there's some footage probably across the street okay so yikes yeah so from the footage uh, 7.45 p.m. on February 1st, a white Chevrolet truck pulls into the Home Depot parking lot. 
they, okay, there was no license plate and the driver sat for 10 minutes and then got out of the truck, walked across the road, disappearing for around 20 minutes before they are seen walking back across the road with Samantha, the figure's arm around her shoulder. Okay, so that lines up with what the other video had showed, right? Around the time, same time. Okay. So people at this time are walking by and no one seemed concerned. So it's Home Depot. There's probably people walking around that. So she's line. still alive at this point. Yeah. When the light changed at the crosswalk and they start walking across the street, Samantha breaks away and starts to run. And the man who has had his arm around her tackles her. They stand up. He whispers something in her ear and they walk over to the white truck. In front of people and no one does anything. No one does anything. So I don't know if people are paying attention, but I think somebody may have seen something. If I feel like if someone breaks away from somebody and gets tackled, somebody's going to notice that. I would think so, but like nobody... Like, your peripheral is going to be like, what was that commotion? What the hell was And you're going to look over there. Like, what? Nobody has said nobody anything. Nobody else is walking at the crosswalk with them? I mean, yeah, there are. No one has said anything, though. No one. Uh, like I said, he whispers to her something in her ear. They go to the white truck. Strangers walk by them. The man stays next to Samantha, waiting until the strangers all get into their vehicles. And then the man puts Samantha into the passenger seat calmly walks to the driver's seat and pulls out of the lot. <clears throat> Moving on to March 7th, that's the next ATM withdrawal alert, and it's for $400. But this one, guess where we are? Arizona. Oh, good Lord. So you were in Alaska. Yeah. Now you're now in, in Arizona. Arizona. <clears throat> so did, uh, FBI agent Payne uh, contacts the bank owner and requests surveillance footage and canvassing of the scene, they determine it's the same guy. And they could tell that he was not driving his white Chevy truck. But it's the same guy, same description. The next alert was an hour away from the first in New Mexico. And that proved that their suspect was driving east on I-10. The next ping is at 2.35 a.m. But that's a balance inquiry. And then an $80 withdrawal. So it's not always 500 It's like 80 or whatever. Yeah. It's any kind of number. So, Detective Payne puts out a bolo to law enforcement in L.A., San Diego, Phoenix, Albuquerque, and El Paso because he's thinking they're driving that direction, right? So, March 12th, this guy, Rayburn, he is a Texas Ranger, which I just find them interesting. Right. Um, He sees the bolo with all of the information regarding Samantha, the ATM card, uh, and the suspected route of the suspect, right? So later this morning, um, that same morning, Rayburn's supervisor, he'd been contacted by the FBI. So first Rayburn just sees it, right? He's like, oh, this is happening. And then his supervisor's like, this is going to be your case. So the FBI, um, two days before all of this happened, um, the, I always talked about with the New Mexico and all these things. There was an ATM withdrawal nearby them in Humble, Texas. So a small town, Texas. So Rayburn's assigned to this case and he calls the FBI field office nearby and learns that an officer in Humble, Texas reports seeing a white Ford Focus at an ATM. So around the time of this withdrawal, okay? 
So he writes a detailed bulletin to alert officers in nearby agencies in Texas, Louisiana, and Arkansas. So they're covering more bases. Mm -hmm. He has a feeling that the suspect would head up through Lufkin, Texas, off Route 59 because highways connect there. So a lot of highways are going to connect. So okay, very so smart. So he could go really any way from there. Yes. Yeah. So he asked his friend, uh, Corporal Henry, to confirm the idea that a Ford Focus was the suspect's car. So I guess they had a little bit of footage and somebody was like, yeah, that's definitely, you know, a, a Ford Focus. Right. So Corporal Henry goes and visits a Ford dealership. They're just really awesome. Wow. Yeah. And well, this is the FBI, so right? they don't fuck around. Yeah. So he confirms, he's like, yeah, that's what it is. It's a Ford Focus. And then Henry tells Rayburn around 11 a.m. that he had been driving around a local hotel parking lot and had come upon a Ford Focus parked in front of a Quality Inn on South First Street, right off Highway 59. Oh. Right? Okay, so Rayburn and his colleague, Ganaway, so many names, you don't have to remember them, head to the Quality Inn, and they find a Ford Focus parked in front of room 115, and the room above, 215, okay? Okay. So Henry uh, just decides to keep an eye on both of the rooms. And then Ganaway walks around the car and notices a couple things. There are little girls' clothing uh, in the back seat. There's a Texas license plate, and Rayburn starts to run it through the system. So we'll get back to that. A white male exits room 215, places items into the Ford Focus, and drives away. Okay? So... They're like, all right, this is at least really suspicious because it looks like it's the car yeah. that we're seeing on this video. We're confirmed it's a Ford Focus, but it does have Texas license plates. Let's just figure but this out. But they're in the car, not on it, right? No, they're on it. Oh, they're on it. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, because, but it's a rental. Rayburn, the Texas Ranger, tells Henry to set up on Route 59 and find a reason to pull the car over. Okay. Okay. So the driver is doing nothing wrong. He's just driving. Leaves yeah. the quality in, driving around. And a higher speed limit's going to start to come up, right? Yeah. And so Henry is like, fuck, come on. You got to do something. Like, yeah. I got to stop this guy. So the car stops at a light. And when the light turns green, the speed limit will turn to 55. So the Ford Focus accelerates to 57. Ah! Henry puts on his lights and pulls him over. Okay. okay. Two miles over. over. Hey, I mean, okay. speed limit's a speed limit. You know That's right. <laughs> yep. So Henry walks over to the vehicle, and he asks the man where he's from. Alaska, the man says. Oh, shit. I know. So Henry asks the man for his license. The man said he's in town for his sister's wedding. The license said the man's name was Israel Keys. Henry saw that Israel had a knife... In his front jeans pocket and one in the back seat. Seems like one too Sketch. many knives. <laughs> yeah. Um, he asks, asks Israel to place the knives on the truck, on, like on the trunk. So Henry called over another officer who he had follow him there because he's smart and he doesn't do it alone. Yeah. And he's like, hey, run this license, okay? So the license comes back, no record, no warrants. No speeding tickets. No, nothing. Nothing. Not a parking ticket? Nope. Nothing. Nothing. Huh. So, 
Israel says, you know, what is this about? He's like, why, why am I being pulled over? And he's like, well, we're looking into the disappearance of a, uh, and a kidnapping of a young woman in Alaska. So Israel starts to give a lot of unsolicited information about uh-huh, this time, right? Uh-huh. He's there with his brother. His brother has his daughter right now. Uh, we went to his sister's wedding. Blah, blah, blah. So all of this. Oh, trying to explain away the kids' clothing in the backseat? Yes. So all of this starts to get Henry to be like, hey, okay. Unsolicited information, talking too, much. talking too much, dude. So maybe he's lying, right? So he also notices that Israel Keys is sweating profusely. And it's about <laughs> 70 outside. So he's like, dude, he's like, man, he's really sweating, right? Yeah. So Rayburn and Ganaway pull up and start to question Keys at this time. So Keys becomes really agitated. I'm sure. Ganaway calls Detective Payne, FBI agent Payne, in Alaska. And they're like, you know, this is the situation we have going on right now. We've pulled this guy over. What do you want us to do? Right. Like, he's from Alaska. Yeah. He's in a Ford Focus. We have noticed a couple things, but, yeah, you know. reason to believe that this could potentially be him. Right. Well, Ganaway says, you know, in Texas, they do have a probable cause exemption. If you have enough reason to believe that a vehicle has been used in a commission of a crime, you can search it in Texas. Oh. Okay. Okay. So 20 minutes later, as, you know, Payne, it, it even describes in this book that I read, he is sitting there. He just got a coffee. He's like about to be in tears. He's like really invested in this case. And he's like, oh my God, my God, what's happening? 20 minutes go by and they call him and they said, we got him. This is a long list I'm going to read you of what was found in this car. Oh, my God. I can't wait. Okay. Found in the car. One can of Amp Energy drink opened. One set of school photos of a child. One pair of white sneakers. One ATM receipt reading debit not available. A Sony digital camera containing 200 plus photos of a wedding. One new gray shirt with store tags. Amber-tinted sunglasses, one t-shirt with one sleeve cut off, dark gray fleece Columbia jacket, several Walmart bags, rolls of cash in denominations of 5 and 10, Walmart receipt stamped Lufkin, Texas at 4.10 a.m. on March 12th, one sandwich, another energy drink unopened, a pair of black sunglasses, a partial gallon of water, laundry detergent, one pink backpack, one green backpack, one gray DVD case containing pornographic images of a black female, a pornographic DVD including transgender pornography, Alaska Airlines flight confirmation of Israel Keys and daughter to depart Anchorage on March 6th, arriving uh, in Seattle, Washington at 5.54 a.m. And departing Seattle at 3.30 p.m., finally arriving in Las Vegas at 5.56 p.m. A bottle of still chilled alcohol in Walmart bags, gray fleece jacket, gray hooded sweatshirt with amber shooting glasses, and a gray cloth Mask in front pocket. Gloves in another one. A laptop. 
a black Samsung cell phone. It's a slider type with the battery and the SIM card removed. Interesting. A toiletry kit. At least he's going to keep up with his hygiene. One handgun, one pair of binoculars, one black ski mask, and one headlamp. Whew. He has Sketch. so much stuff in his car. So he did have a kit. Yeah. I wasn't lying about that in the wedding, but... We'll get there. Still too much. Okay. <laughs> so, Rayburn arrests Keys, and he finds Samantha Koenig's driver's license and ATM card in his wallet. Oh, shit. Okay. So, the story we're discussing is Israel Keys. Okay? So, all of that happens to catch him. So, let's talk a little bit about who is Israel Keys, okay? He's born in Cove, Utah on January 7th of 1978 to a large Mormon family. He was the second of 10 children. So many children. Born, born to Heidi Keys and John Jeffrey Keys. So when he was five, the family rejected Mormonism and moved to an area near, near Colville, Washington. They lived in a one-room cabin without electricity or running water. So, in Colville, the family attended services at two churches, the Ark and at the Christian Israel Covenant Church. And at the second one, they practiced white supremacy, supremacist Christian identity ideology. What? Yeah. Do you mean just, do you mean say it again? <laughs> <laughs> I kind of have to. Oh. White supremacist Christian identity ideology. What the fuck is that? How to be a racist asshole and be a Christian, I guess. I don't know. That's what it sounds like. Right. Yeah, it's all about being a racist asshole. What? So, while growing up, uh, Israel Keys broke the neighbor, broke into neighbors' homes to steal guns. He loved hunting. He would pursue, quote, anything with a heartbeat. He'd torture animals and oh. all of this behavior you know, as uh-huh. we know, linked yeah. to psychopathy. He befriended the neighboring family, Chevy Keyhole, and he later, Chevy Keyhole, was later convicted in a 1996. That's a name. I'm sorry. I was like, what yeah. did you say? Say it one more Chevy time. Chevy Keyhole. Oh, Keyhole. I thought you were saying Keyhole. I no, was Kehoe. like, what a name, man. <laughs> Still, Chevy Keyhole. It sounds like a type of car. Right? It's true. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So that. Man, child. Sorry, Chevy. (laughs) No, don't be sorry. He was convicted for a 1996 triple murder. Oh, okay. Fuck you, Chevy. Yeah. (laughs) Whoops. (laughs) And he learned a lot about guns from these boys, and he tortured animals with them. He became quite the expert at taking apart and rebuilding both guns and silencers with Chevy and his friends. While in custody, Israel Keys himself said, I have known since I was 14, 14 that... There were things that that I thought were normal and that were okay that nobody else else seemed to think were normal and okay. He just didn't get it. He's like, well, what's, what's weird about this, right? Well, if you grow up having a friend or a friend's parent that is doing that kind of stuff, like... Yeah. Yeah. And his stupid parents are taking him to a church to learn how to be a racist christian asshole so what yeah oh i mean yeah that's true so anyway keys eventually rejected all religion and he was like okay yeah and he became an atheist 
He served in the U.S. Army from 1998 until 2001 at Fort Lewis, Fort Hood, and in Egypt. Interesting. He moved... When was he in Egypt? Uh, I think in 2001. That was his last little stint. Huh. He was honorably discharged. And in 2007... Do we know what he did in the Army? No. No, I'm not sure. I didn't look it up. Ah, there was so much other shit. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. (laughs) So he moved to Alaska in 2007, lived with his daughter and a girlfriend in Anchorage's Turnagain neighborhood near many of the city's most prominent citizens, top attorneys, law enforcement officials, and he operated a one-man contracting business. So lots of people in this town hired him for all kinds of jobs. Construction contracting? Okay. Handyman, contractor, construction worker. Uh, He called it Keys Construction. Interesting. Yep. Okay. So after the arrest. So remember, we're back to they arrested him in Texas in the Ford Focus with all that stuff in his car, right? It takes two full weeks to extradite him back to Alaska. Wow. I know. March 30th. Uh, FBI agent Payne learns that Keyes wants to talk, but has a few demands. He wants the death penalty off the table, and he wants very little information about him released to the media. Payne, Bell, Godin, Nielsen, all these people meet in a conference room at the FBI uh, headquarters to get a plan together to interrogate him. They're like, this guy, we got to get it right the first time. We have to make him think we know so much more than we do. Right? Because he obviously seems to be um, a planner and to kind of be ahead of the game a little bit here. So the plan is ready to go. The team then, though, receives a surprise call from Kevin Feldes, the top federal prosecutor in Alaska. And that man had another idea. He said he's leading the interview with Keyes, along with his deputy, Frank Russo, And it's not taking place at the FBI office at the headquarters. That's way more equipped. It's going to take place at the U.S. Attorney's Office. The Attorney's Office is not wired for audio, not wired for video, and it's not under proper security. All of the things the FBI office or headquarters is. Is, right. There's one thing that if there's any prosecutorial misconduct, your case can be thrown out. And so this federal prosecutor says he's in charge of this now. He has not had training to do How this. How is he able to do that? It's the FBI. Are they not, like, they're not able to be like, no, they, no, they the couldn't. Nope. Chain of command is so weird. It's so weird. So the detectives were outraged, obviously, but they were like, what do we do? The yeah. only thing we can do is coach this guy. Coach him as best as we can. With our years and years and years of experience, we have very little time to get this dude to face Israel Keys for an interrogation. Right? So are they not going to secretly wire this room anyway? Like they're not- they do, but it's really difficult to hear. Okay. Because it's, it's not wired for it. Properly, so they right. do bring a recorder in, but I listen to a lot of it and it is just like, like you hear that first before you oh, hear. you hear like the air running and stuff. All of it. Like you can't hear anything else. Yeah, it's hard. Okay. So remember our story about Samantha, right? Right. Let's hear... Israel Key's version of that night. A little after 7 o'clock on February 1st in the evening, he drove his white Chevrolet truck to the Home Depot across from the coffee kiosk, and he had been observing the coffee kiosk for several evenings. 
So he waited until close or close to closing time, grabbed his coffee mug, pair of plastic zip ties, his headlamp, and a 22 revolver. He also had a police scanner in his ear. So he gets out of the truck and he heads to the kiosk. So the investigators asked him, you know, they're like, when did you meet Samantha? And he says, never met her, never seen her before. He, they were like, why would you go to the coffee stand? He said, they were open late. That's it. He approaches the kiosk and as Samantha hands him an Americano, he pulls out his gun and he says, this is a robbery. Samantha puts her hands in the air and he tells her to turn off the lights and give him all of the cash in the register. Key said, I was feeling invincible because she was scared and she did everything I said. So Keyes proceeds by zip tying Samantha's wrists behind her back. And he asks her where her car is. So she said she didn't have her car with her. And so then he says, I will kill you if I hear anything in my police scanner in my ear that says that you push that alarm and someone's coming to get you. So she's terrified, right? Mm -hmm. So he leads her through the parking lot. And this is super weird. When he's walking, there's a brand new Canon camera lying on the ground. So I have no idea how that happened. Um, that's a pretty big item to just be lying there. Yeah. Um, when he bends down to pick it up, that's when Samantha tries to run away. Okay. So it's just a weird little snippet in there, yeah. but that's the time that she's trying to run. You know, he tackles her. We know what happens. When they finally get into the truck... He tells her what's going to happen. He says, I'm holding you for ransom. And so he says they drive to a nearby park. He covers his back seats with drop cloths. And he tells Samantha to lie down and be quiet. And he covers her back up with a couple more drop cloths. And so remember, he works in construction. Mm -hmm. So he's got all this shit in his car or truck. So at this time, he realizes that he has very little time because he's leaving for a cruise the next day with his daughter and his live-in girlfriend. His live-in girlfriend's name is Kimberly, by the way. So the next morning, he's leaving, and it's already 11 o'clock at night. He needs Samantha's phone because he needs to make a ransom request. He doesn't have her phone. It's at the coffee kiosk. He drives back to the kiosk. He gets the phone, relocks the door. Leaves her in the truck. Yes. Covered. She's tied down. She is tied. She's tied down so she can't move? She can't move. Yeah. Her arms have been, I left this part out, her arms are still tied. And then he took a zip tie and he hooks it to <clears throat> like part of a seatbelt. Oh, okay. So she can't get up. No, he hooks okay. it to the seatbelt. He gets the phone, locks the door. He remembers. He's like, oh, I need her keys. He unlocks the door of the kiosk. Third time entering it. Grabs keys and leaves. How, did they not see any of this no. on the footage? No, they stopped watching it after she was gone. Oh my God. Mm-hmm. Or you would have seen the dude come back two more, more times, times. Right? There's lots of issues. <sighs> so Keys then uses Samantha's phone. He sends messages to people who have been calling her. One message to her boyfriend. The message that was sent to her at 1130 saying, fuck you, asshole, going to stay with friends, tell my dad. Mm -hmm. And one to her boss. In both, she sounds very angry. Then he pulls the battery out of her phone because he's not going to take any chances, he says. Mm -hmm. So he goes back to his house, tells Samantha, you got to lay here. 
I've got some stuff to do. I'll be back. Oh, my God. Okay. So, it's now between 1 and 2 in the morning. He gets Samantha out of the truck. He takes her to a shed. So, he has a shed on his property. And the shed, he's already set it up completely ready because he's been looking at places for a while, right? It has two heaters. It has a big tarp that's laid out on the floor. Uh, and there's heavy metal music. And he starts blasting it. I don't know how he's not waking people up, but maybe this is a normal thing. He gives her a five-gallon bucket to pee in, empties it, and has her sit on it. He takes a piece of rope, ties it around her neck, and screws it to the wall on both sides. He then has Samantha tell her her home address and location of the truck that she shares with her boyfriend, Dwayne. So then he takes Kimberly's car, drives to Samantha's house, gets towards right at her truck, gets her uh, license, her ATM card, and looks at her boyfriend, Dwayne, who comes to the door. So he is getting the stuff out of the truck when Dwayne is staring at him. Because remember, Dwayne's like, there's a guy out there with a mask. He didn't do anything. So then Keys leaves. He takes the ATM card and the pen, and he goes to a local ATM trying to get money out, right? Right. Debit, not accepted or whatnot. Mm -hmm. uh, returns home, pours himself a glass of wine, and Samantha some water. It's 3 o'clock in the morning. He returns to the shed. He then proceeds to rape Samantha twice. He puts on his leather gloves, strangles her to death, stabs her once right below her right shoulder blade in her back, but he will not say why he did that, but he has his reasons. Finishes his wine, puts his pants on, goes into the house, takes a shower, wakes up his little girl, and while she gets ready, he returns to the shed, rolls her body into a tarp, opens his lower cabinets to hide her remains. He turns off the heaters, he locks the shed, he calls a cab, and he and his daughter and his girlfriend leave for their vacation cruise at 5 in the morning. February 18th, he returns home from vacation. So Kimberly does not join him back at the house. She keeps traveling until the 22nd. So he's like, I've got some time. And while he was on the cruise, he keeps checking the weather back in Anchorage to see, is it getting warm? Is her body going to thaw? Like, what's going to happen? Because it was really cold. Right. And he turned the heaters off, right? So it's very cold and the weather's starting to warm up. On Monday the 21st, after he takes his daughter to school, he goes out to the shed and he starts to dismantle the shed piece by piece, chopping everything ripped out of the shed into firewood. He rolls Samantha's body out of the cabinet and onto a piece of visqueen. He takes everything that she's been wrapped in, um, his clothes from that night, shoes, her purse, but he does save her makeup and he saves all of her coins and he takes her coins and he puts them in his coin jar and shakes them up. And then he burns everything else. Not her body, just all the other stuff. Uh, he then tacks large pieces of plastic along the floor and the walls of the shed. And he had scrubbed everything earlier with like a bleach and a grout bleach. So he's getting into the grout, into little crevices with bleach. And then he hangs her body up, lifting her arms above her head, tying the rope around her waist and screwing the rope to the wall. He then proceeds to have sex with her corpse, saying, quote, she was warm and... 
I guess I lost track of time. Samantha has been dead at this time for approximately 21 days. Oh my God. He uses her makeup and more makeup that he goes and buys at Walmart to make Samantha look as live as possible because he's going to take photographs for a ransom note. So he spends hours and hours trying to position her body while his daughter is at school. So the muscles in her face have gone kind of slack. It's 21 days. You know, her, right. her complexion well, looking. I've seen the photos. Yep. And I thought you said earlier that in the photo she had duct tape on her face. But all the photos that I've seen, she doesn't have duct tape on her face. You can see the dark circle around her mouth. And you okay. can see her eyes are really dark. Yep. Like, it's really obvious that she's dead. But yet, she like has this newspaper and she's like pointing at a date hmm. and he had like apparently like tied. Oh, I've, I've got it. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I mean like it's, it's, it's a haunting photo. I've, I've seen horrible. it a few times and it like fucks me up. I have to like yes. really try not to think about it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, her muscles are all slack. Like I said, so he first tries super glue. Then he decides that's not going to work, so he takes a big curved needle with 10-pound fishing line to make it look like she's squeezing her eyes shut, he said. So that's why her eyes look so dark, because he made them, like, real squeeze. I thought that she was... See, now I want to look at this photo again, because I thought her eyes were open. This is what he's saying. It's okay. not necessarily what, what it is. It is. Right. This is what he's saying. Okay. He took five or six pictures before he found one he liked. He used that one for the ransom note that was found by Dwayne and the investigators in Connor Park. So, at this point, he knew that her corpse was really starting to smell. And he's like, all right, I have to do something. This is horrible. He decides to cut her up to make it easier to dispose of her body. Over three separate days, he makes trips out to Matanuska Lake. On day one, he walks to the center of the lake with a chainsaw, lead weights, a snow shovel a large piece of plywood, a sled, and some part of, parts of an ice hut that he is going to pitch the next day over the hole that he's going to cut. He cuts a hole in the ice. He drops the weights down to see how deep the water is so that he can properly dispose of her body. And it's 40 feet. Day two. He packs some of Samantha's remains into different tote bags, three tote bags, he heads back to the lake and dumps the remains in the hole he created in the ice with the ice hut over it. Two more days go by with the same process. All of these are happening, you know, after he takes his daughter to school. And the FBI, FBI dive team is brought into the scene after he lets everyone know what he did. Where it is, yeah. And the ice at this time is three feet thick. So they have to recut it at this point. It took the whole day, but the team did locate the three totes with her remains, confirming that what he confessed is true. So now they have him on murder. Kidnapping and murder. All right. So that is the unfortunate and horrific story of poor Samantha Koenig. That was his last crime, and that's why he got caught finally. But he did so much shit before that. So I'm just going to talk a little bit about it. Not, nothing in as much detail. So April 6th. So the detectives and the FBI team are like, we need to get a little bit more information out of him. We've got him on Samantha, but we need to get him to confess to something else. Because we know there's more, right? Yeah, clearly this isn't the first time. Right. So at this point, 
He's like, I have some month later, right? Mm, yeah, month later. He's like, I have more demands. He now wants an execution date. He wait. I thought he didn't. I thought he wanted the death. He did off, but now he's like, oh, I want to be executed. I'll yes. tell you everything if you kill me. You won't tell him everything, but he'll tell him more. Tell him stuff. Right. So he said, I want this whole thing wrapped up and over with as soon as possible. I mean, I could end up in federal supermax prison somewhere for the rest of my life, which is what, if my attorney had his way, that's where he wants me to go. And that's not what I want. I want this whole thing done in a year. I want my kid to have a chance to grow up. Okay. June 2nd of 2011. So a year-ish before. He flies from Anchorage to Seattle to Chicago, where he rents a car, and he begins driving east. He's on his way to visit his brother in Maine, but he spent a few days in Indiana, then New York, then Burlington, before reaching Maine. Okay, five days later, June 7th, he is in Essex, Vermont. He goes everywhere. everywhere. So... One thing that Israel is known to do, which you are aware of, is he buries kill kits or kill caches all over the place, right? And he will take a giant five-gallon Home Depot bucket. He is going to fill it with zip ties, ammunition, guns, silencers, duct tape, and Drano to accelerate human decomposition. And he hides these all over the freaking place. Like right, everywhere. right. Like everywhere he goes, he's just like, oh, I'm going to bury one here just in case I feel the need to do it next. Like I'll have, yeah. some, I'll have it ready to all go. All over the freaking place. I don't know how he remembers all of Where this Where they're so at? Well. Yes. But it's been two years since he buried this one in Vermont. He's like, I'm going to dig this one up. Okay. Two years. Two years. So he digs this one up and he walks across the street from his hotel that he's staying at into an apartment complex. So he's like, I'm just going to stake this place out for a while. He doesn't really have a plan. He just, you know, wants to find somebody who's alone and he's looking for a guy. So he is well, um, well known of to have been bisexual. He doesn't really discriminate. He doesn't okay. have an age necessarily. He just kind of decides on a whim. So he wants a man this time. So he spots a man. He's like, this man is perfect. Then it starts to rain, and the man just, like, darts away so he doesn't get wet. And he's like, huh, that guy got lucky tonight. Because he would have gotten him, he says. So he's disappointed, but he's, he's determined. So he leaves the hotel on foot a little after midnight, and within five minutes, he finds himself looking at a house on, it's 8 Colbert Street in Vermont. He creeps around the house. Remember, he works in construction, right? He cuts the phone lines, he removes a ventilation fan from a garage window, and he crawls into the garage. He then grabs a crowbar. He's like, oh, there's a guy that lives here. He makes his way into the bedroom of Bill and Lorraine Curry. He zip ties their wrists behind their back, takes them both into their own uh, car, and he leaves the house. And they're both begging him to let them go. And he tells them again, you know, this is ransom. I'm just going to you know, get money for you guys. And Bill's like, I need my medicine from the house. And Lorraine's really trying. Like, she's feisty. She's, you know, trying. And he's like, no, like, don't worry about it. You're fine. Around 4 a.m., he settles on taking them to an abandoned house. So that's one thing he likes to do is find abandoned houses. But it's for sale, but it's kind of out in the middle of nowhere. 
So he takes Bill out of the car first and puts him in the basement. He puts Lorraine upstairs in a bedroom. And when he goes back to the basement, Bill is a badass and he's putting up a total fight. And he's even pushing him around a little bit. So he's pushing Keys around. So Keys is like, fuck, he is ruining my plan. Right. And he's such a control freak. He gets so mad. So he shoots Bill in the arm, the neck, the head, and the chest. And Bill is still standing. Wow. And he's like, oh, like, this dude's not going to go down. And then finally, he succumbs to his injuries. Yeah. And he falls to the floor to his death. So Keyes decides to go upstairs to Lorraine. And... He's very strange about giving details about did he make her change. Like, he says, Keys is very, like, I'm not going to give you all the details. There's certain things that I will always keep private. Mm -hmm. So I'm not really sure about all of it. But I do know that he raped her twice. He then takes her downstairs to show her what he did to her husband. He then strangles her to death, pours Drano on both of their hands and faces, and rolls their remains over to the corner of the basement. He piles garbage and wood on top of them, and he lights the house on fire. So from start to finish, he's like, it only took me six hours. So kind of bragging about how quickly he can do these things. After killing the couriers, he went to a campground in New Hampshire to burn their belongings, and then he drove to Maine to visit his brothers. One of the things Keyes liked to do in Alaska was pull up small towns on his computer out-of-the-way places that only had three or four different routes in and out of town. So these towns rarely saw crime. They, he thinks, could have inexperienced police. Mm. So, so maybe people are going to be less on guard. Because less on guard. Because normally happen there. Nothing happens usually. So he researches how many banks there are, um, how much surveillance there might be in each bank, and he loves finding houses that are for sale that are abandoned. And he says one of his ultimate goals was finding a church to take his victims to and kind of leaving their bodies on the altar. So he definitely has some really weird shit, weird shit happening. Yeah, Especially, I mean, he did grow up with a lot of weird church stuff, religious stuff, but that, you know, yeah. uncalled for still. Uh, we find out that Key's first victims were in Washington State in the late 1990s. He admitted to investigators that he killed four people in Washington State and claims um, that uh, these claims are subject to an active investigation by the FBI. Okay, so he's lived in several places in that state, though, from the 1990s until 2008. He traveled so much, it could be literally anywhere, anywhere. Right? right? So he confessed to at least one murder in New York. Authorities have not determined the identity, age, or gender of the victim. Or when or where the murders may have occurred. Um, but they do regard this confession as credible. He has ties to New York State. He owned 10 acres um, of a, in a rundown cabin in New York, in the town of Constable. He confessed to bank robberies in New York and Texas. And the FBI later confirmed that Keyes robbed the community ban branch bank in Tupper Lake, New York in April 2009. So the FBI said that Keyes threatened people in the bank with a handgun and there were no injuries. He also has reportedly burglarized a Texas home and set it on fire. So he's into arson, bank robbery, um, raping, strangulation, and God, so many things. Everything. 
So during the whole time Keyes is in custody, he gives many small details um, for the police to use to find other victims. But he doesn't give it all away. Like, he just won't. So he's very much like, I'm going to give you X and Y, you figure out Z. So the police have... They're like, we have to keep him talking. Like this, So he would ask for, I want a cigar, an Americano, and a Snickers bar. And they were like, okay. So he was always getting stuff. Like, he really worked them because they knew he was smart and he had all this stuff that he needed to tell them. But he was in a hurry to, one, get rid of his attorney. He wanted to just, you know, um what is it called? Represent yourself. Mm -hmm. And he wanted the death penalty and he wanted it to be wrapped up. He didn't want his girlfriend to be involved. He wanted his daughter to have a normal life. He's like, I need these things. I'm not doing anything. I'm not going to help you. Right. Right. He, whenever he would tell stories, you know, holding back that information, when he did give details that excited him, he would start rubbing himself in front of the detectives. Ew. Mm hmm. Disgusting. So you can tell all of these are so sexually motivated because it just, he'd like start rattling the chains on his, uh, you know, the chains that he has on his arms and his legs. And he'd start just like talking like, like kind of like this and like rubbing Ew. himself. Key's total number of victims is still unknown, but the FBI believes that he has killed at least 11 people. Okay. So while he's in custody, they're in a packed federal courtroom and he's bound with leg irons and handcuffed to a belly chain. And he was surrounded by eight armed guards and six U.S. Marshals. They are not fucking around with this dude. No, they're not. (laughs) So right when his lawyer starts to address the court, Keyes breaks out of his leg irons and handcuffs like um, the Hulk. And (laughs) (laughs) jumping rows, leaping like a panther from chair to chair. And it finally takes three guards and a taser to bring him down. Oh, my God. So while in jail, he'd been given pencils. And was whittling them down with his teeth. Of course he was. And to make picks, right? To make the picks, yeah. Oh, my to, God. To unlock his, um, all his chains. And he was given a, cell, a cellophane wrapper on his sandwich. And then he used that to make it look like his leg irons were still intact. How would they not look shiny from cellophane? I don't know. Maybe it was dull cellophane. Oh, my God. <laughs> I don't know. Is it like the cling wrap? You know, like the... Um, What's the cling wrap one that's more like matte looking? Oh, I don't. Oh, I you know what you're saying. I'm talking about the like the sticky, like the one that's like a bit more sticky. That's I know what like, you're saying. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But they were like, okay, all the d- detectives and the um, people in the jail were like, stop giving him shit. Yeah. Well, have we learned nothing from Pamela Huff with her pen? Right. Trying to stab don't herself stab in, the neck? in the neck. Like what the fuck? So they had warnings. Um, everybody was told there was a note posted on his cell. Don't give this man anything, right? But he was still given portable razor blades to shoot oh my god because that's smart there was of all the things razor blades of all the things Mm -hmm. you're supposed to they were supposed to do only an electric shaver but you know he could have taken that cord and wrapped that around exactly he He wanted to or wrapped it around somebody else's cordless but he still probably would have figured out how to take it apart and use the plastic edge of the battery backing this lotion you know what i mean like he was smart he would have figured anything out like really he needed to be just watched and get yeah, taken away. Yeah, they just had a guard at his door at all times watching him. Right. Exactly. Because let me guess. So. Yep. 
Yep. So while being held in jail at the Anchorage Correctional Complex awaiting the trial for the murder of Samantha, he managed to conceal a razor blade. He slit his wrists on December 2nd, 2012 and had attempted strangulation. Where do you think he hit it? Maybe in his mouth even. Who knows? Did he wear shoes? Between the cheeks. Between his butt cheeks. I have no freaking idea, but yuck. Yeah, yuck. He had a piece of the pencil in his mouth, and um, at one point, somebody was like, what's in your mouth when they're interrogating him? And he was still, like, whittling it down, and he took it out of his mouth. Uh-huh. So how did they not figure that out then? That like I think it was student... after that. Oh. He was still doing it. He was like, oh, oh do another one. Can I keep God. whittling yeah, away? I'm going to have one. Mm-hmm. He was like, I'm getting the fuck out of here. Because he's like, I'm not staying here. I'm either going, you're going to kill me. I'm either going to kill myself, you're going to kill me, or I'm going to get the fuck out of here either way none of it's happening on a timetable that i'm happy about so exactly none of it let's take it into my own hands here yikes razor blades mm-hmm. what is wrong what does he need to shave for i don't know he doesn't look like what he does he play. need to shave for <laughs> this is my question i'm sorry i don't why know. does he need to be clean shaven he's in jail maybe for the murder of someone i guess for uh trial or whatever don't they so let- i agree i agree yeah i totally agree with you I don't know why he needs to be shaved. Like, are we kidding? No, they're not. <laughs> what the fuck? It's, I mean, the I'm rules sorry. are ridiculous. I'm like thinking about it. It's like hitting me right now. And I'm like, why does he need to shave? I know. <laughs> it's such a good point. I don't know. I really don't. But they do say that this was his final act of control and sadism because he was super controlling. Mm-hmm. So... In 2020, the FBI released the drawings of 11 skulls and one pentagram. And it also had inside the pentagram, it was like, um, you know, when the devil looks like a goat or whatever. Right. It was in there, too. And I, they, I saw that picture on yeah. the internet, too. It's creepy. They're drawn in his blood. And so how do you do that? <laughs> he took a the razor blade or a pencil. or He could have just, like, bit, bit himself it. on the finger or something or like like ripped yeah. a hangnail and just got a little bit and, you know what i mean like mm-hmm. i feel like this weirdo could have done literally anything but his tongue yeah you know like he could have done anything sick they were found under his jail cell bed and um one of them had the phrase we are one in capital letters written at the bottom and the fbi believes the number of skulls may correlate to the they believe the number of victims yeah so, I'm going to go ahead and end with Israel himself. Okay. So, this is what he sounds like. And these are just a couple of the things he says during one of the interrogations. Back when I was smart, I would um, do it. I would let them come to me. I would kind of go to a remote area that's not anywhere near where you live that other people go to as well. You might not get exactly what you're... There's not much to choose from, in a manner of speaking, but there's also no witnesses, really. There's nobody else around. So, uh, one thing that he's talking about, you know, he would go to a lot of remote areas and whatnot, but his biggest uh, adventure yet was doing it in his own, like home state well his home state at the time alaska he's like i want to do it in my own backyard and so that's the whole uh, thrill of it for getting samantha was like i'm doing this at home i've got x amount of hours i'm leaving on a vacation yeah my child's at home mm-hmm. it, she's literally I'm gonna have in my interactions shed. with her in between carrying this out yep 
going to check to see if my girlfriend, Kimberly, is awake or asleep. I'm uh, going to call the cab. I'm just going to hide the body. Yeah, complete freak. So anyway, that's, that's all I've got for you guys. Um, like I said, I did read a book, American Predator. Predator. American Predator. Um, I'll put, we'll put all of our sources again, um, on our website and under the episode comments. So, uh, you guys should check that book out if you're interested in learning more because it was, it was good, but there were parts of it that, yikes. I can only imagine. Mm -hmm. So anyway, do you have any final thoughts? So the thing about this case that really kind of like creeps me out or hits home for me is my sister actually went to the University of Alaska in Anchorage. And she lived there during his active years. Yikes. That's so scary. And I actually went to visit her for Thanksgiving at one point, which I don't know if it was, well, it had to have been during sometime yeah. during those active years because I, you know, he was you were there. He, yeah, I was there. So, and I was actually living in Sitka, Alaska at the time. So, oh my gosh. yeah. And so, you know, my sister's going to the university. He preyed on like a young mm-hmm. female. Like, it's just crazy to think like, she could have easily crossed paths with him. Oh, at, she she could have at I any mean, for time. Sure. You know what I mean? Like he was such a normal, normal dude. Dude, construction worker mm-hmm. has contracting business. Yeah, and a lot of his um, clients too would be like, "What?" They would call in. They're like, "You guys have to be mistaken." Like Israel is so nice. A couple people are like, "He gave me the creeps a little bit, but he did a good job." So there weren't any crazy you know like red lights going off or anything like this guy's a lunatic Mm -hmm. but you know i mean he just was able like he said to have two lives about living in a town during an active serial serial killer which they had no idea yeah nobody had any idea and i talked to my sister a little bit about it and she said that during when all that stuff was going on you know they weren't really putting a lot of information out which is Mm -hmm. Um, we realize is because the FBI took over the case and yep. they really don't give you a lot of information. Well, and that's what the, that's a deal they made with him. That's right too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you know, I guess what little information they were putting out had to do with her dad delving into maybe selling drugs or something. Yeah. And they, you know, we obviously know cause we just heard you tell, right. they thought that he was guilty yeah. for a while until they found Israel. Right. So of course that's all that she really heard over the news. Right. About so, it. And she said that they were all really, really hoping that they were going to find her alive. Right. She just remembers being like, I really hope they find her. Yeah. It was crazy. Yeah. So anyway, but yeah. And like she had said, um, you and I talked about these girls that were working in these coffee kiosks. It was usually really young girls and they'd only have one. Oh, I just thought of something else. They would only have one person at a time. But ever since Samantha's case, now two people have to work well, at a I time. Well, I can't believe they had young you know, 17, 18, whatever year old women working in a kiosk alone. Yeah. That just sounds like you're setting them up for failure. You Absolutely. Know what I mean? And like, there's that window. Right. Right. That someone jumped through to through. get you. He I jumped mean, through it like yes. a freaking panther. Yes. My sister said that after that case happened, they did temporarily close like all those kiosks down for a little while because it was all just young females and they didn't know if it was just somebody going around that was going to be like kidnapping. Right. You know, girls from these coffee kiosks. Exactly. Which like when I, so I lived in Sitka, which is an even smaller town, way smaller it's a little tiny island, actually. Mm-hmm. And we had those little coffee kiosks oh, out there. sure. I think it was, it's a big thing there, I'm pretty it's sure. A, yeah, it's a big thing in Alaska. They just, they love their coffee, and apparently they like their little tiny coffee kiosks. Yeah. Because I remember one specifically that I used to go to all the time that was, like, down at the end of the road, and it was definitely in a very, like, 
kind of remote kind of remote area. Can Which, you remember who was working in there? It was always females. So it was it always was. like young females. Okay. Yeah. I believe I believe if I remember correctly it was there was two. Okay. But this is probably because it was around yeah. that time and they were like, okay, everywhere in Alaska there will be two females because it was probably the same it might have even been the same chain to be honest. You I don't know, remember what it was called. You just reminded me of something really fast. Yeah. This is just an extra detail. After the uh, after Samantha was reported missing, mm-hmm. they did not close that coffee kiosk. What? As a scene. They did not. They let the next kid come, come in. Come in and work it? To work. He worked the entire day until the Anchorage Police Department was like, oh, maybe, maybe we should have closed close that. that. Yeah. Because they were like, we think that it's her family or that she... Uh, staged this abduction. Right. So they didn't even think about it. Just like they didn't think about getting the freaking Home Depot footage. Right? So they really did fuck it up quite a bit. Yeah, quite a bit. Um, Okay. I just want to say, because I feel like we're always talking about how cops are fucking this shit up. We're all humans. Nobody is perfect. But holy shit, dude. How many cases do we have to talk about that the cops were not on it? And I'm not saying all cops are ignorant or Definitely anything. Definitely not. I mean, we but for we some need reason, them. all these cases, like, they drop the ball yeah, big time. It's, it's attention to detail. And I'm not trying to be judgy, but it's not my maybe, job. It's your job. Maybe they just need to, like, do, they need to put more. Manpower? No, more thought into, like, school. You know what I mean? Like, they yeah. have to, you have to go through the police academy and shit. Maybe they need to be more selective. They need to be more picky. They need to maybe be harder on them. I feel like, you know what I mean? Like, it's just, it's starting to get, it just seems like they're a little too laxed. A lot of the cases we've talked about have been more recent cases. True. Versus older cases. Well, this is going to sound like somewhat of a sexist comment, but I really wish there were more female detectives and stuff because any one of us knows if we've ever had a boyfriend that we were like, "Mm mm-mm. We can find some information out. <laughs> it's true. You know what I'm saying? Like, I feel like, and I'm not saying by any means, no men get offended. I'm not saying you guys aren't as like, what is the word I'm thinking of? Like sharp? I, I, yeah. I don't want to say like smart because, you know, yeah. that's not, but like analytical maybe, maybe or like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, I feel like we are just a little bit more meticulous and we think about things a little bit differently. Well, sometimes we overthink. Or overthink, and maybe that's what you need. You need yeah. somebody to overthink because you would think of things that you wouldn't have thought of previously. Right. We do tend to overthink. For 100%. sure. Men don't seem to overthink nearly as much as women do. Of course, we're saying that, and then Israel Keys is, like, overthinking everything to the point that he's, true. you know, like, ahead of the game. So maybe so we have no idea. it's obviously not a universal no. thought, but... I just, yeah, yeah. I hope that more women get interested in this and decide to really like take their career that way because Agreed. I, I, you know, I would love to see that. Agreed. All right, so we're moving on to trivia. A lighter note. Trivia. <laughs> trivia. A lighter okay. note. So last week's question was, "What do you call a male black widow?" And the answer is Bluebeard. Which is Which weird is and hilarious. Weird and hilarious. Um, Bookworm in Crime was our only correct answer on that one. I kind of like that name. Yeah. So she, um, I kind of have looked at her page a little bit and she reads a lot of like crime books and, oh. and kind of like does recommendations for crime books and stuff. So okay. I've looked there a few times to see Cute. if there was like something I should buy. Oh, I should look at that too. Yeah. Like I got Victim F because she had write, oh. like highly recommended it and it was one of like the true crime books that she had read. Oh, so nice. I bought okay. that one 
to maybe cover as a case. Cool. But yeah. yeah, that that was a recommendation that she had posted on her page that I liked. So I like that. Um now I did have quite a few answers that really cracked me up that okay. were incorrect and I want to go ahead and shout them out because like I said they gave me They're a funny. good they gave me a good laugh. And I think that they were more so trying to be funny than answer. Totally. Yeah. So let's read these. So Gelsey Gelsey K Green or I'm saying this wrong. Her name's Kelsey Green, but her okay. Instagram handle is like a, a jumble of her okay. name. Uh, she said a homewrecker. That's hilarious. Um, murderous Intentions Robin Tam said dead, which I was dead that, after I read that. It was funny. hilarious. <laughs> Beach Balance said single. I like that one. <laughs> and Tay Smith said a spider. Now that's just funny. Yeah. Because yeah. so you had I a thought, picture of a spider. Right. I know. Which is why I thought it was even funnier. Yeah. I was like, is it really going to be like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like so simple, stupid, the answer's a spider. And I was like, you know what? Clever. I'll give yeah. it to you. Like, give it that's to great. That's it's not the answer. It's not but the answer. That's, that's awesome. So <laughs> yeah, all those answers really cracked me up. So thank you for that. Last week's question about the genetic syndrome, I thought maybe I would have some answers to shout out this week. Nothing. Nobody bothered. I guess that nobody really liked that question, yeah. I guess. No, we Got can't win them all. zero feedback on that one. <laughs> so maybe I'll uh, steer away from those type of questions. Okay. So this week's question is, where is Murderville, USA? Okay. It's a good one. Yeah. That is a good right. one. So guys, please uh, submit your answers. Yes, we love reading your answers, and I really, really like being able to shout you guys out. Not to mention, any correct answers put you into a drawing towards free merch, which we yes. have a lot of cool things. We're yep. still, obviously, in the works with some other things. It's just not moving as fast as I would like it to, but... It's a creative process. Yes, it's definitely a creative process, for We'll sure. get there. Um, I'm so, still trying to decide how many I want. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll just make it, like, kind of a, a slightly smaller number, so it doesn't much, take so long. How it's, many was it? I think I was, I was initially thinking 10 correct answers, but I think five. that might be a lot. I'm thinking five. Yeah. Five I think five good. might be good. Cause I think we might have a couple people who are like getting close at the two or the three mark. Ooh, so guys keep yeah. answering. You're going to win yeah, some merch. So if you've been answering questions, keep answering cause you're getting close and I'm going to start asking for addresses soon to mail yep, out to some mail things. Out some stuff. So perfect. Um, yeah, for sure. All right. Well, don't forget to um, check out our website, mm -hmm. uh, don't get in the van blogs, episodes, merch, uh, links for everything are yeah. on the website. And please rate and review us. Any and all reviews are happily welcomed. Um, we would love to read anything that you have to say. My only thing with this is like people who will leave a one star but not write anything. Exactly. It's like if, if you want to leave a one star, by all means, that is your prerogative. Okay, sure. But please write us a review and let us know so that maybe we can take that feedback and adjust it. You know what I mean? Like we, we welcome all criticism and we would, sure, you know, sure. if there's something that you feel that you would like to hear us do better or different or whatever, let us know. Like we would love to know that stuff. I don't yep. want to, I don't want to discourage people from leaving whatever re review they feel sure. inclined to leave, but please at least give us the courtesy of leaving an actual written review so that we know why you left that. Yeah, because perfect. that that helps us to, you know, improve and get better. All we want to do is put out something awesome that you guys love. And we can't do that if you don't tell us what we're doing wrong. Right. <laughs> or what you're offended or not happy with. You know what I mean? Right. So, Absolutely. yeah, leave whatever you feel appropriate. But please at least write something so we know what it is. So we right. can, we can, we read all of them and take them all to heart. So. Yep. Yep. And some will be applicable and some won't. Because you can't yeah. please everyone. But exactly. we would like to try. We would try. Yeah, <laughs> we're, we're definitely trying. We really would like to. So. Awesome. We can only do that if you guys give us your feedback and let us know. Like, review, what you and think. share. Yes, please. All right. Well, as always, remember, don't get in the van. Don't get in the van.